happy 4th of July. Hope you guys, uh, this is a part of just a great weekend of celebration for you. We celebrate our nation's birthday. Uh, how many of you were out at the concert on uh, Friday night? Wasn't that amazing? Great job by them. We loved it. Loved it. And hey, we are going to uh, jump into um, our scripture and a, our passage for the morning. Kids, we're not dismissing you to Children's Church. You got to hang in here with Pastor Glenn. Um, but maybe what you could do is just snuggle with your parents to keep them warm because um, we're going to need that. Well, I wanted to start by telling an old story that uh, back in the summer of 1947 in inner city um, San Francisco, uh, there was a man or a boy that was born to a single mom, and they were very poor. In fact, growing up, this little boy um, and the family was malnourished at times, and this little boy uh, was eventually diagnosed with rickets, which rickets uh, causes the, the bones and the muscles to not develop um, accurately and st- or, or uh, well, and so this little boy's friends called him Pencil Legs. Pencil Legs was this kid's name. Uh, But this little boy uh, was very resilient and he loved football. He loved football. And his favorite player was the old uh, great running back from the Cleveland Browns, Jim Brown. So this goes back quite a ways. Um, And that Jim Brown was his favorite player. Well, one year, the Cleveland Browns came to San Francisco to play the 49ers, and this little boy was way too poor to afford a a ticket, and so he decided that he would just go out to the old Kizar Stadium, and and you could see through the fence there, and and so he watched some of the game like that, and then afterwards, he went out to the tunnel where the players were going to be coming out, and he was just hoping that he could catch a glimpse of his hero, and finally, when Jim Brown comes out, this little boy starts shouting to him, Mr. Brown, Mr. Brown, over here, Mr. Brown, over here. Finally, Jim Brown looks at this kid who's 13 years old now, and, and he's shouting so much, he decides, I'll go over and at least give him an autograph. And so Jim Brown walks over, looks down at this little guy, and, and uh, this, this boy says, uh, Mr. Brown, you are my favorite player. I've got your picture up in my room. I know all of your statistics. I know all of your records. And then this little boy that his friends called Pencil Legs looked up into Jim Brown's eyes, and he said this, and one day... I'm going to break all of them. So Jim Brown looked down at this little boy and he said, well, okay, that's great. But if you're going to break all my records, I should at least know your name. And so the little boy said, well, my name is Orenthal, Orenthal James. My friends call me. OJ, yeah, if you're old enough to remember, that was OJ Simpson, was that little boy. And he did, in fact, grow up uh, to be one of the greatest football players of all time, both in college and pro. And in fact, he uh, did break a lot of those records. And yet, here's the thing. Uh, um, here's the thing. Most of us, when we hear the name O.J. Simpson, especially if you're old enough to remember uh, O.J. Simpson's story, you don't necessarily think of football, do you? In fact, we barely remember the start of his career. Instead, we remember him for the tragic ending. We remember him for the horrible choices uh, that he made and his very public downfall that led to his trial and eventually uh, being in prison for uh, the murder of his ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson. And that's kind of a weird, but kind of a sad story, but it's just one of kind of the countless reminders of a lesson that we need to think about today. And that lesson is this. It doesn't only matter how you start in life, it matters how you finish 
And that is a lesson for us today because we are in this series that we began last week and we're going to continue on here even on the 4th of July uh, on the kings of Israel and it's called the good, the bad, and the ugly. And today we turn our attention uh, to a king by the name of Asa who ruled as king for 41 years and in those 41 years he was all of those things. He was good. There were times he was bad, and there were times when it was just um, ugly. And so today's message is called, How Do You Handle Success? How do you handle success? Because we know that real character really comes out when we're under pressure, right? Our character comes out when we're under adversity. But most often, our character is formed during times of peace and during good times. In fact, it was the Puritan uh, preacher Thomas Brooks who said this, adversity has slain its thousands. Adversity has slain its thousands, but prosperity has slain its tens of thousands. Because we know oftentimes in times of peace and prosperity, people tend to fall away and make poor choices. So can I ask you, how do you handle success? How do you do when things are going well. So before we jump into our story, one of the most kind of important summary passages, there's a few passages throughout the Bible that offer a very good summary of some of the main teaching of Scripture. And one of those is Proverbs chapter 3. Maybe you know this famous passage, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, says this. King Solomon writes, and he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, In all your ways, acknowledge God or submit to God, and he will direct your paths, or he will make your paths straight. And this profound truth about trusting the Lord, doing things his way, and the blessing of letting him lead our lives is proven so true time and time again, but it's really proven true in our story today on the life of King Asa, King Asa. So you find his story in a couple places in the Bible. You find it in uh, 2 Kings, but you also find a, kind of the extended version in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. So if you have your Bible or you can pull out your phone, you might want to open it up to 2 Chronicles chapter 14. I invite you to follow along in this story. Maybe you got some notes as you came in and you want to follow along there as well. 2 Chronicles chapter 14. Now you remember if you were here last week, Steve talked about a really important time in understanding Bible history, which is known as the beginning of the divided kingdom. So this comes in Israel's history after David and after Solomon, which was really known as kind of the high point in the history of Israel, right? That King David, uh, you know, had his faults for sure, but was a man after God's heart, united the kingdom. Solomon uh, built the temple, built things up. Then Solomon starts to drift away at the end of his life. And after Solomon, it is this tragic thing in the history of Israel, and the nation is torn apart, and the nation is divided. And so you have these two different kings kingdoms that were formerly Israel. You have 10 tribes that are in the north that keep the name Israel. They're known as the the northern kingdom. And then in the south, you have the southern kingdom known as Judah. It's made up of two tribes, uh, Judah and Benjamin. And Chronicles primarily follows the story of Judah. And Judah is especially important because not only is it King David's line, but ultimately Asa, who was a king of Judah for 40...
so superstitious. It just seems kind of removed from my life, the, the idol worship that they're talking about. But the question is, is that true? Is idol worship really that far removed from our life? I heard a, a guy talk about a, a time when his, his daughter, who was, I think, nine years old, um, had, had learned the Ten Commandments. And she learned the Ten Commandments, memorized them in Sunday school or something like that. And she came home and she was talking to her dad. And they were talking about whether she had obeyed these commandments or not. And so she's looking at the list and she starts to look at these things. And she says, well, you know, Dad, I, I know I have lied at, at, at some times for sure. And then she's right there with her dad, and so she has to fess up. And she says, I know I've not always honored my parents. And the dad said, yeah, we know that one's true. And she says, well, I've never, I've never murdered anyone, but I, I have you know, hated someone in, in my heart. And so now this little girl's starting to feel the heat like of all these commandments that she broke. And so she starts scanning the list, and finally she says, Dad, I know one commandment I have never, ever broken. I have never fashioned an idol and bowed down and worshipped it. And this dad said he had to resist every urge in him to not kind of just tell her that the reality is, is that's maybe the commandment that we've broken the most, right? Because we may not offer a sacrifice to Baal or Asherah, but the reality is anytime we put something in a place that belongs to God, we are guilty of worshiping idols. And we put our trust in all kinds of things that we think are are going to bring us peace, are going to bring us happiness, fulfillment, purpose, protection, whether it's money or sex or food or, or another person, whether it's home or health or even country, family, anything that is not God that we trust in to keep us safe, give us love, give us true purpose above God, the Bible calls that idolatry. And the Bible actually says the most common sin, the most common sin that we're warned against in the Bible is actually idolatry. In fact, it's not even close. The number one sin by far talked about throughout the Bible is the sin of idolatry. And so Asa stands out as a good king because he doesn't tolerate it. He says, I'm not going to allow any of these idols. And he gets rid of them and he destroys them. And he tears down all of the, the pagan idols and all of the high places where they went to worship these idols. In fact, how devoted was Asa to this? There's this great little verse in both Kings and Chronicles that tell us while Asa was tearing down the high places where they would go up on the hill to worship these idols, that he discovers that his own grandma has a, a, an Asherah pole, a place where he, she would, would worship this idol. And it says that Asa... Deposes or gets rid of his uh, grandma, who was known as the queen mother, and he takes that right away from his own grandma because uh, she was worshiping idols. That's a pretty solid devotion to get rid of idols, to, to throw grandma out of the royal family, but that's what Asa does. And it is a good season of peace for Judah. But of course, Peace never lasts forever. And before long, uh, we read that there is a threat to the peace. And the threat to the peace is a challenge from a man by the name of Zerah. The Bible says that he's a Cushite or Ethiopian. And so he's a king and he marches with his army all the way up from uh, throughout Africa, from Africa up to invade Judah. And, and as they get ready to describe this, this battle there at the second half of chapter 14, it gives us some really interesting details about the army. So first of all, it talks about Asa's army. And Asa's army from Judah, it says that there are 300,000 fighting men that have large shields 
and swords. So 300,000 soldiers with shields and swords. And then there are 280,000 from the tribe of Benjamin that they have small shields and small swords, but they are still part of the army. So 580,000. I don't know how you, you know, got the big shield and the big sword. That's what I would have wanted. Um, But some had big, some had small, but there were 580,000. Remember that number because that's a really big number. That is a big army that Asa has. And yet Zerah marches up from uh, Ethiopia, and we're told that his army is actually a million men. The phrase is a thousand times a thousand, a million men. And not only are they a million men, but they come with 300 chariots. And so those 300 chariots are way stronger than even the shields and the swords. And so the point is, you've got Asa's army, who is much smaller and not as strong, going against this vast superpower. You know, we hear these stories of the war in Ukraine and our hearts just break for our brothers and sisters and our hearts are with not only you, but with our, our, our brothers and sisters in the church of Ukraine. But we think about this and we think about, uh, we think about these, these, this nation going up against a, a much stronger adversary. And that's what it was like for King Asa to go up against the Ethiopian army. But they march out to go to war and um, I'm sure they felt a little silly with their shields and swords up against the, the chariots, but I love what Asa does. In fact, I think this is one of the more beautiful prayers in all of the Old Testament. In Second Chronicles 14, 11, before they go into the battle, this is what the king of Judah prays. It says, then Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O Lord, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. Isn't that good? And I've been praying that all week since I read that. Oh Lord, who can help? Uh, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. So help us, O oh Lord, our God, for we trust in you alone. It is in your name that we have come against this vast horde of a million uh, soldiers. O oh Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. And God hears that humble prayer of Asa trusting in the Lord. And remember, Asa's great-grandfather Solomon taught that when you trust in the Lord, that he will direct your paths. And that's exactly what happens. The bigger, more powerful Ethiopian army is defeated. And it's one of those times in the Bible and in history where you think that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that the smaller army would defeat the much bigger army. But you guys, that really is the point of all this, right? God's ways are beyond ours. God's ways are much bigger than ours. And, and, and Asa and his army, uh, God never says, you know, uh, assemble a great army and, and then I'll direct your paths. He says, no, trust me with your whole heart and then I'll direct your paths. And so Asa and his army wins and they're on their way back uh, to Jerusalem, on their way back, and and a prophet comes out to meet them. And I want you to see this. This is in uh, chapter 15, verse two. The prophet comes out and this is what he says to Asa. And this is what he says to his army. And these are powerful words to them and to us still today. The prophet says, listen to me, Asa. He shouted, listen, all you people of Judah and Benjamin, The Lord will stay with you as long as you stay with him. Did you get that? The Lord will stay with you as long as you stay with him. Whenever you seek him, you will find him. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. The prophet basically reminds 
Asaph, his great-grandfather Solomon's words, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge, submit to God, and he will direct your paths. Now, I want to be clear with those words. That's not necessarily a blanket promise that when we trust God, that everything is smooth and easy. It's not always ice cream and and rainbows, you know. We all know people that trust God and still face difficult things. Jesus tells us that would be true. So this is not some blanket promise where God's like some sort of cosmic vending machine, where you think if I do all of these little behaviors, then God is obligated to meet him. That's, that's you manipulating God. That's not faith. That's actually more like superstition. So it's not a, a promise like that to make God a, a cosmic vending machine. But what it is, is a principle that is in fact always true. That when we do things God's way, we are choosing to do them the best way. And he will be with us and he will guide our paths. Not always to the easiest circumstances, but always to what is best. And so that's what Asa does. And that is the end of his first 36 years of his reign. And it was good. And I wish that that was the end of the story because we could just wrap things up and go to pancakes and everyone would be thrilled with that. But that's not the way that Asa's story ends. Because after 36 years that we read about kind of a second part of Asa's reign. And you actually pick this up now in Second Chronicles chapter 16. And the way it works is Asa is still king of Judah. And this time another army comes up uh, against them to threaten them. And it's not uh, from Africa but it's actually their own brothers and sisters from the northern kingdom of Israel. And so this is one of those super sad scenes in the Bible where you have literally a civil war, God's people fighting against each other. Israel in the north against Judah in the south. Israel invades from the north and you have this war. Now, Remember exactly what Judah did when he, or what Asa did when he was threatened before. He prayed that beautiful prayer of trust in God. It seems like he would have done that again, but that's not what he does. We're not even exactly told what changes or what switches in Asa's mind, but for whatever reason, he's not handling the success as well. Because this time he's faced with this threat from not uh, an outward foe, but from his own brothers and sisters in the north, Israel. And here's the plan that he comes up with. He decides that he's going to go to the temple. And he says he's going to go to the temple not to worship God, but he goes to the temple and he takes some of the gold and the silver from out of the temple treasury. And he takes the gold from the temple treasury and he gets it all together and he calls his uh, friend, uh, a king from up north, Ben-Hadab, king of Aram or king of Syria. And he says this, would you like to enter into a treaty with me? I've got all this gold and silver that came out of the, the, the temple treasury. Why don't you and I go in together and we will be able to defeat Israel? Now, Syria there in the north already actually had a treaty with Israel. But uh, apparently this king of Aram or king of Syria really liked money and trusted in that. And so they uh, arranged this treaty that they would come along and they would come together and that the two of them, Judah and Syria, then would push back Israel and they would be defeated. And so Asa offers the gold and the silver out of the temple treasury and they enter into this arrangement. And here's the thing, you guys. It works. It works. They come together and they have this, uh, this, uh, this uh, treaty together and it works and they push back the people of Israel. But here's the thing. 
the plan works, but it dishonors God. And if there's one thing we know for sure is that sometimes you can do things that on the outside seem like they work, but they dishonor God and therefore they lead to problems. You see, when Asa faced the Ethiopians, he trusted God with all of his heart. And now he's got this opportunity. And what does he do? He leans on his own understanding. He comes up with his own plan. This is what I think is best. Even though he had seen God work in the past, even though he had known God's promises, he says, I think I know what's better. And while in the short term, the battle was won, the ultimate victory is lost because he turns away from God and God is no longer directing his path. In fact, if you look at 2 Chronicles 16, 7, and I'll just read this as kind of one of our, our last uh, scripture here. 2 Chronicles uh, 16, uh, verses 7. Again, a prophet comes out to meet them. Two different times the prophet comes out uh, to meet them after battle. And this time it says in verse 7, at that time, Hanai, the seer from the king of Asa, uh, came and told him, because you have put your trust in the king of Aram instead of in the Lord your God, you missed your chance. You missed your chance to destroy the army of the king of Aram. Don't you remember what happened to the Ethiopians and the Libyans and their vast army with all of their chariots and charioteers? At that time, you relied on the Lord and he handed them over to you. So in other words, the prophet says, can't you remember that God had been faithful to his word in the past? You trusted him and he directed your paths. He says, but this time you missed that opportunity. And then he says to Asa what I think are some of the most powerful words in all of the Old Testament. He says this in 2 Chronicles 16.9, but Asa, don't forget this. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Did you catch that? The eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You know, I first heard those words or first understood those words. I was a young Christian. I was in college and, and was at a Calvary Chapel in Santa Barbara. And I remember the pastor offering that invitation. Don't you know that the eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth? And he's looking to strengthen the person whose heart is fully committed to him. And I still remember all these years later that he described that uh, the same spirit of God that once hovered over the, the emptiness of creation and then speaks creation into to, to being. The same, uh, the same Holy Spirit that hovers and then raises Christ from the dead. He says that same spirit, the eyes of the Lord still range throughout the whole earth and they range across uh, the room that we were in on that day and he's looking for a heart that he can come, someone that is committed to him and, and uh, he will strengthen them and guide them. You guys, that verse right there was a huge part of actually my calling to say yes to God to become a, a pastor because I thought, God, I, I, there's a lot of stuff I don't know and there's a lot of stuff that was scary to me then and honestly is scary to me now. But I know this, that's not what it's about. It's about, my part is not to figure all of it out. My part is to have a heart that is fully committed to him and let God's eyes range throughout this grass area right out here right now and see hearts that are fully committed to him. And that promise is, devo or that promise is still true for each and every one of you today. And God may not be calling you into full-time ministry. Maybe he is. Maybe that would be a part of it. But he's calling you to something. 
He's calling you to make a difference in your home. He's calling you to make a difference in the world. He's calling you to be a light in your neighborhood. You guys, this is the 246th birthday of the United States of America. He's calling you to make a difference in this nation. And we need it more than ever before. And the promise is the same. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth, looking for a heart that is fully committed to him. And he will strengthen them. Dwight Moody once said it like this, the world has yet to see what God can do with a person fully committed to him. But then Moody adds this, but with God's help, I aim to be that person. I want to be that person. Can you say that today? You see, it doesn't matter how you started. It doesn't matter how experienced you are. You, uh, you could have a, a life in the past that's full of peace and blessing, or maybe you have a history full of regret and struggle. Here's the thing, you guys. God is not looking for a perfect past. God is not looking for someone who has it all together. God is not looking for someone who knows the Bible backwards and forwards. God's eyes are not searching for the most gifted, the most beautiful, the most talented. God's eyes are looking around this place right now, looking for a heart that is fully committed to him. And he says, I will come alongside and I will strengthen and I will use you. What a great promise that is. And that was Asa's story for the vast majority of his life. And yet at the end, he begins to trust in his own plans and he lets his heart drift. And this is the way the story ends. So the rest of the events of Asa's reign from the beginning to the end are recorded in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa developed a serious foot disease. Funny the things that are included in the Bible. Asa develops a serious foot disease, yet get this, even in the severity of his disease, he did not seek the Lord's help, but he turned only to the physicians. He leaned on his own understanding. And so he died in the 41st year of his reign, and he was buried in the tomb he had carved out for himself in the city of David. And he was laid on a bed perfumed with sweet spices and fragrant ointments, and the people built a huge funeral fire in his honor. Well, what a sad ending that is to such a great start. And I don't think this is exactly what the author of Chronicles wanted us to to get, but I think it's a pretty good point. Pastor Ian said it to me, and so I wanted to share it with you. The, The moral of the story is Asa stops walking with God, and he dies with bad feet. He stops walking with God, and he dies with bad feet. Now, that may be a a stretch, but that's the point, you guys. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Let's not lean on our own understanding. Let's trust him and he will direct our paths. And his eyes are looking around this place even now, not for a perfect heart, but for a heart committed to him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these ancient truths that ring loud and clear in our eyes today or in our world today. And Father, we thank you for a chance to be outside and we know there's a lot going on and a lot of noise and a lot of things. But in the quietness of this moment, God, it just stirs my heart to know that your eyes range to and fro throughout the whole earth and throughout this place, looking for hearts committed to him. Father, would all around this church and all around this city, would you find those hearts committed to you? And would you use us? Lord, use us to be a light in wherever you call us and a light in this nation for your glory. We thank you for it. I thank you for this church family. I pray that you would bless and lead us in all that we do. Lord, again, we thank you for this nation and what a privilege it is um, to to be a part of it. Help us, Lord, to honor you as we uh, celebrate that. And we do this now in the name of Christ. Amen.